Chapter 1. Animals On the subject of women and sex, Meredith Chivers was out to obliterate the civilized world. The social conventions, the lists of sins, all the intangible influences needed to go. I've spent a lot of time, she said, attempting to get back in my head to what life was like for proto-humans. When Chivers and I first met seven years ago, she was in her mid-thirties. She wore high-heeled black boots that laced up almost to her knees and skinny, stylish, rectangular glasses. Her blonde hair fell over a scoop-necked black top. She was a young but distinguished scientist in a discipline whose name, sexology, sounds something like a joke, a mismatching of prefix and suffix, of the base and the erudite. Yet the matching is in earnest. The ambitions of the field have always been grand, and Chivers's dreams were no different. She hoped to peer into the workings of the psyche, to see somehow past the consequences of culture, of nurture, of all that is learned, and to apprehend a piece of women's primal and essential selves, a fundamental set of sexual truths that exist inherently at the core. Men are animals. On matters of eros, we accept this as a kind of psychological axiom. Men are tamed by society, kept, for the most part, between boundaries, yet the subduing isn't so complete as to hide their natural state, which announces itself in endless ways, through pornography, through promiscuity, through the infinity of gazes directed at infinite passing bodies of desire, and which is affirmed by countless lessons of popular science, that men's minds are easily commandeered by the lower, less advanced neural regions of the brain, that men are programmed by evolutionary forces to be pitched inescapably into lust by the sight of certain physical qualities or proportions, like the 0.7 waist-to-hip ratio in women that seems to inflame heterosexual males all over the globe, from America to Guinea-Bissau, that men are mandated, again by the dictates of evolution, to increase the odds that their genes will survive in perpetuity, and hence that they are compelled to spread their seed, to crave as many 0.7s as possible. But why don't we say that women, too, are animals? Chivers was trying to discover animal realities. She carried out her research in a series of cities, in Evanston, Illinois, which sits right next to Chicago, in Toronto, and most recently in Kingston, Ontario, which feels utterly on its own, tiny and fragile. The Kingston airport is barely more than a hangar, Kingston's pale stone architecture has a thick, appealing solidity, yet it doesn't chase away the sense that the little downtown area, on the frigid spot where Lake Ontario spills into the St. Lawrence River, isn't much more formidable than when it was founded as a French fur trading post in the 17th century. Kingston is the home of Queen's University, a sprawling and esteemed institution of learning where Chivers was a psychology professor, 
but the city is stark and scant enough that it is easy to imagine an earlier emptiness. The building's gone, the pavement gone, almost nothing there except evergreens and snow. And this seemed fitting to me when I visited her there, because to reach the insight she wanted, she needed to do more than strip away societal codes. She needed to get rid of all the streets, all the physical as well as incorporeal structures that have their effects on the conscious and the unconscious. She needed to recreate some pure, primordial situation so that she could declare, this is what lies at the heart of women's sexuality. Plainly, she wasn't going to be able to establish such conditions for her studies.